Welcome listeners to Season 6, Episode 10 of Drinking and Screaming, a queer and feminist podcast about horror movies and cocktails. I'm Char, and my pronouns are she, they. And I'm Kelly, and my pronouns are they, them. And this week, we're watching The Fly from 1986. But first, we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. So we made this drink to be full of all the sugar a growing Brundlefly needs. <laughs> this episode will contain discussion on sexism, harm to animals, and body horror. If any of these things are something that you need to not hear about today, feel free to skip this episode and we'll see you next time. I named this drink Sugar Cookie. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because but why? Well, why? Because this has got sugar in it, uh, and the main character loves some sugar. Villain? Hmm. Anyways, I uh, ended up adding uh, Bailey's and whiskey, about twice as much Bailey's to whiskey, a dash of real maple syrup. None of that. None of that crap that you get in the states. Some real <laughs> Canadian maple syrup. <laughs> Uh, and I rimmed the glass with sugar before pouring it all in. So it's it's sugarful for sure. It's so good. Good. Is it very sugary? Do you think a fly would like it? I do. Is it fly approved? It definitely is. Also, Buddy would be all over this shit if it wasn't the middle of the day and he was sleeping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm, that is good. Very dangerous. That's a smooth drink mm-hmm, mm-hmm, with a lot mm-hmm, of alcohol mm-hmm. in it. Uh, but, you know, it's cut with some maple syrup, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, you cannot taste the alcohol at all in a great way. I mean, technically you can. It's just I mean, it's mostly you taste like Bailey's, which I love. Yeah. And it, but it is Bailey's is an alcoholic flavor. It's just a good and easy to drink <laughs> one. Yeah. oh man i just this is a holiday beverage for sure too holy cow that's good i was i was gonna call it maple sugar cookie but i feel like that pushed it too far over the line into holiday movie Uh, even calling it sugar cookie i was like i can probably come up with a better name but um all the desserts he had in the movie i think i think it's a safe bet yeah i think it's a safe bet to call it sugar cookie yeah i agree Thank you so much to our patrons. We can't do the show without you. We appreciate all of your support week after week, month after month. Some of you have been with us since we literally started, which is fucking phenomenal. Mm -hmm. But um, all of you, thank you so much. Nicholas G, Jacob M, Diana S, Ollie A, Aiden T, Jackie V, Roxanne B, Let's Represent Podcast, Colleen D, and Aubrey L. Thank you so much for supporting the show. You Yay. are all super cool. Buzz. <laughs> <laughs> this week, we watched The Fly, which premiered on August 15th, 1986. Screenplay was written by Charles Edward Pogue and David Cronenberg, based on the short story by George Langelin of the same name, and directed by David Cronenberg. It stars Jeff Goldblum as brilliant but eccentric mad scientist Seth Brundle, Gina Davis as hard-hitting journalist and lover Veronica Quaif, very unfortunate last name, <laughs> and John Getz as awful ex-boyfriend and article editor Stathis Barans. This synopsis was found on IMDb uncredited. Uh, and again, we are going with the full... full 
I was going to say full frontal. What, what's a better mm, way to hello. say it? No, that's good. Full frontal synopsis. <laughs> it's quite long, but I felt, especially with this movie, we kind of need to get all the details in here. Yeah, so. it's uncredited because it is just the script. <laughs> so the credit goes to the script writers. <laughs> yeah. Seth Brundle is a brilliant and eccentric inventor. At a party thrown by his financier for the press, Brundle meets Veronica Quaif, a reporter for Particle Magazine. He invites her to come back to his apartment where he shows her his latest invention, teleporter pods or telepods that disintegrate matter, transmit it across space and then reintegrate it. Although they can transmit inanimate matter, it can't handle living things. He offers to let Veronica track his progress as he tries to work out the kinks if she will wait to write the story until he is finished. She agrees. Veronica ends up spending much of her time at Seth's apartment while he works, and the two of them become more and more attracted to each other. Whoa. He attempts to send a baboon through the telepods, but it is reintegrated inside out. Soon, Veronica falls in love with Seth, and they make love. During the act, she makes an offhand remark about the flesh driving women crazy. This gives Seth the inspiration he needs. He will teach the computer to be driven crazy by flesh. Veronica watches as Seth puts a second baboon through the telepods, and this time the baboon comes through unharmed. As they prepare to celebrate, however, Veronica finds a package from Stathis. Inside is a design for a cover story on Seth and his telepods. She runs back to his office to stop him from publishing prematurely, leaving Seth to celebrate alone. He gets drunk and becomes convinced that Veronica is resuming her relationship with Stathis. He decides to teleport himself as a way to spite Veronica. However, a housefly inadvertently gets into the telepod with him. He does successfully teleport to the other pod and emerges seemingly normal. The fly nowhere to be found. Veronica comes back to him that night and they reconcile, but his journey through the telepods begin to show some strange side effects. Thick, coarse hairs begin to grow on his back. He develops an intense craving for sugar. His body develops an almost instantly more athletic build, and his sexual stamina is seemingly endless. The sex alone begins to wear out Veronica. Seth suddenly believes that Veronica should go through the teleportation herself, perhaps in a bid to make her as virile as himself. (laughs) She refuses, and in a sudden burst of uncharacteristic anger, Seth leaves in search for a woman who he can keep up with, or who can keep up with him, I should say. At a seedy bar, he meets a woman named Tawny and arm wrestles with another man to compete over, quote, who gets to take her home. Seth wins by breaking the other man's arm with his superhuman strength and because of a white secretion from his hands. After a night of sex and a demonstration of his invention, he then tries to get her to go through the telepods, but she refuses. Seth tells her not to be afraid, but at that moment, Veronica arrives saying, be afraid, be very afraid. Tony leaves and Veronica confronts Seth about the changes she has seen in him. Not only is his back growing more hairs, but his face is breaking out in blisters. She then informs him that she had some of his back hairs analyzed and that they are not they are most likely insect hairs. He refuses to believe anything is wrong, but he kicks out Veronica from his apartment. His thought processes having become more scattered and irrational. In the bathroom later on, though, Seth does notice more severe changes to himself. His fingernails are falling off and his fingers drip more fluid. 
His face has more blisters and more of the thick hairs are growing there. He concludes, like Veronica, that something must have gone wrong when he went through the telepods. He checks the record of his teleportation and his computer tells him that there was a secondary element in the pod with him, which he recognizes as a housefly. When he asks the computer what happened to the fly, it tells him that he and the fly have been spliced together into a single organism at a genetic and molecular level. A month goes by in which Seth and Veronica do not speak. But finally, he contacts her and asks her to see him. When she arrives, she sees that he is frightened and heavily deteriorating. His face is lined with pockmarks and he needs canes to walk. He has to wear gloves to keep from biting his fingernails off. He eats by vomiting corrosive enzymes onto his food and sucking up the dissolved remains. Gross, 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 gross. As they talk, his ear falls off. He refuses to take help from any professional doctors, not wanting to be a lab rat. Later, she returns to his apartment to find him crawling on the walls and ceiling as he now realizes what is happening. He is turning into a human-fly hybrid he calls Brundlefly and wants Veronica to document his metamorphosis. She records a video where Brundle demonstrates his new eating habits and brings it to Stathis, who watches it in horror. Veronica then shocks Stathis further by telling him she is pregnant with Seth's child. Stathis encourages her to talk to Seth before aborting the baby. When she sees him again, he has deteriorated even further no longer wearing clothes, his skin has become swollen and lumpy, and more of his body parts have fallen off, and he barely resembles his old self. He keeps the slot-off parts in a cabinet, dubbing it the Brundle Museum of Natural History. He warns Veronica not to return, because his fly instincts are taking over, and he will not be able to keep himself from hurting her. She leaves without telling him she is pregnant, and demands Stathis take her to a doctor for an immediate abortion. Seth overhears them talking, however, and follows them to the doctor's office where he kidnaps her and takes her back home, asking her to have the baby as it may be the only thing left of his humanity. Veronica is too frightened, thinking there is some kind of monster growing inside her. Stathis follows them to Seth's apartment, armed with a shotgun, but Seth jumps down from the skylight, catching Stathis by surprise. He vomits his digestive enzyme on Stathis' hand and foot, melting both appendages and sending stasis into a state of semi-conscious shock. He's about to vomit on his face and make him a meal when Veronica intervenes. Uh, Seth lets Stasis live, but asks for Veronica's help to make him human again. When she asks him to explain, he shows her the plan he has created. He wants to use the telepods as a gene splicer yet again, using them to fuse himself with Veronica and their unborn child in the hopes that her untainted humanity will be enough to stop the metamorphosis. She resists, but Seth tries to force her, saying, we'll be the ultimate family. As she struggles to free herself from Seth's grip, she accidentally rips off his jaw, <laughs> which sparks the final stages of Seth's transformation. His limbs shed the remainder of their human skin, revealing the insect body underneath. The rest of his face slows off to reveal a mutated fly's head. And basically, it's like a big 
shit show and he attempts to do this teleportation and merging people but then stasis uses his shotgun to save veronica and then instead of with veronica not being able to be teleported the fly tries to break out of his pod and he doesn't make it all the way before teleportation happens and he gets mixed in with literally the broken telepod so he becomes part machine and it's very sad and he wants to be killed and she cries and pulls the trigger. That's it. I feel like the liquor started taking over at the end there. <laughs> <laughs> I just stopped reading because I was Kinda like, went this off is script too a little long. Bit. <laughs> too long. <laughs> and you got to enjoy the drink the whole time. I was just reading. I just had one sip of this baby. <laughs> now you've got the trailer. Yeah. Hit me with that trailer audio. Sorry, I have three other interviews to do before this party's over. Yeah, but they're not working on something that'll change the world as we know it. They say they are. Yeah, but they're lying. When you went through, something went wrong. I want to know what's going on. What does the disease want? What's to turn me into something else? Oh, no. A fly got into the transmitter pod with me that first time when I was alone. Help me. I can't believe how much they showed of the transformation. I mean, with a movie like The Fly, it's like man and fly. And that's kind of the whole concept. Yeah. But they showed a lot of the physical effect, the practical effects. I'm always a little bit hesitant to believe that what we watch is the real trailer that came out before the movie. Like, I... I don't know. I f- sometimes I feel like we get the quote unquote official trailer, but it's like a company made a trailer 20 years later for like a remaster or something like that. Um, and it happens quite often with some of the like really old movies that we watch because mm. you can technically call it the origin or the official trailer if it's for like a box set or something mm. for the 20 year anniversary or something. But because, um, yeah, it was like that was also a very graphic trailer like it, sh- it showed like his nails being taken off and stuff so but but um it was good it, I, <laughs> it, it was, was it was it was like a quick little shot of all the important scenes of the movies so <laughs> i think the only thing we didn't get was the fact that she was pregnant yeah yeah that's you true know. one surprise shocker left whoa baby fly that's the fly too right yeah i think so is it? Because she lives and we it's left ambiguous if she gets the abortion That's or true. not. We should watch Fly 2. I've got uh, some scaredy facts about that, too. Ooh, sick. All Actually, right. I'm not sure if I included it. So they f- did film like different endings. Uh, yeah, I didn't include it in my scary facts. So I'll say it now that there were multiple endings. Some of them she kept the baby and it was like automatically horrifying another mm. one she kept the baby and it had like beautiful moth-like wings Ooh. um another one she gets bath back with stasis which uh that was like originally the main ending and everyone was like this is dumb <laughs> this is bad we don't like it so they changed it to be the ambiguous one instead but yeah multiple endings uh that were tested out hmm an early scaredy fact for you, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Kelly, what are your thoughts on this film? So my first thought, and I think you and I both kind of had this feeling when we finished it, was that it holds up surprisingly 
surprisingly well. Mm-hmm. Like this is a good ass movie. <laughs> and like it, I don't know if that's like a testament to the fact that it was kind of more of a drama and almost like a romance movie than it was like a campy 80s horror movie. Mm-hmm. But like it didn't feel stale at all. Uh, the story mostly focuses on like the emotional impact of turning into the fly and how their relationship is affected by that. There's the one kind of antagonist, which is her ex-boyfriend. And other than being like a stereotypical douchey CEO, like he's not chaotically evil, it seems. Mm. So everybody's motivations like hold up. It's like it didn't. There was no point in the movie where I was like, oh, that didn't age well other than the costumes. But even then, Gina Davis's costumes were all fucking great. And I would wear them today. Yeah. Her <laughs> hair. I was like, that's my hair. And when I don't do anything to it. Yeah. Can I be in the 80s? <laughs> There's one outfit she had that was like an oversized sweater with like some brown pants. And I'm like, this is that's that's today. <laughs> His, like fashion history has looped already to this movie specifically and yeah. specifically Gina Davis's character. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like, uh, did, would you not agree that like the the story itself is more of a character drama wrapped in a horror element than it is like an actual full on horror movie? The plot itself is very detailed. I think you're right that they're focusing on the characters. And that's the thing with a lot of 80s horror, especially with the slashers that we watch that sort of for me, like paint the 80s as if I if I think of the decade of horror in the 80s, I'm going to think of slasher films more than to me than I think of like um, movies like The Thing or anything. Or is that the yeah. 70s? Am I am I mixing up my decades? Um, no, The Thing's uh, 82. OK, yeah. Uh, so in general, though, I do think more of slashers in the 80s. Um, but this movie did exactly what you said, where they're focusing on the characters rather than this like very blank plot. Yeah. It's what happens to them while this horror is happen- occurring rather than like Friday the 13th, where Jason's there and he's just going to kill everyone and you don't know anything about anyone. And it's mostly about the kills. Yeah. And we still get a lot of practical effects in this and it's awesome. Uh, but I do agree. I thought it was cool. It was a nice shift from usual 80s films for me. Yeah, I'm kind of doing like a quick scan and I think you nailed it on the head. Like in most 80s horror, they don't really have an opportunity to like talk really because it's always that they're being chased by the killer or they're in an unwinnable situation. Like like we got Child's Play, Chucky's constantly on the move trying to kill you. The thing that you can't settle down to think about I mean, it's like mostly like, are, are you the thing? You the thing? Yeah. Hey, I'm watching you the thing. <laughs> um, like uh, maximum overdrive. You gotta run. You gotta get those cars. Those cars will get you. We haven't the seen Cujo. Horror. Maximum overdrive. <laughs> you know, I mean, even like sleepaway camp. It's like once yeah. the murders start happening, everybody's mostly just concerned about the murders. But in the fly, it was like the problem was mostly isolated to his lab. Like there was the one time he went out to try to get somebody that he could turn. But then once that happened and he started like getting kind of like coming to terms with what's happening to him, he mostly isolated himself and it gave an opportunity for um, the other characters to talk about what's going on. And for, and he wasn't like, he didn't immediately attack anybody when they showed up at his house, he would like talk and, 
he was afraid at moments and then he was really motivated by what he was becoming. And it was like, it was a very, every character had a lot of depth and opportunity to explore that depth beyond being chased by a guy with a, a sword or something. Yeah. I know that I'm just revealing a lot of scary facts prematurely, <laughs> but David Cronenberg, the director here, he originally intended the film to be an analogy for disease itself. Ooh. So terminal conditions like cancer, which is directly mentioned in the movie and uh, the aging process overall, mm. which I think is why we get more of the lens we did rather than this like horror event. Yeah. Like when, he, when she visits him after he's like, you are right. Please come back. Yeah. He's like, he's got the like two canes and he's yeah. really tired. And yeah, I could definitely see that. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that like, I don't know, sometimes like we get out of horror movies and it's like, yeah, that was good. Oh man, those are some cool kills. And I think that it's so rare that we come out of a, a especially an old horror movie where we're like, wow, those are some it's good so characters. Old. Some old, those old <laughs> ones. Um, yeah. And we're just like actually impressed. Like you could, you could like reskin this movie and change almost nothing and it would be as good. Change change the the magazine to a blog, change uh, I don't know, <laughs> arm wrestling in a bar to I don't know, still probably arm wrestling into that, a bar. That would work. Yeah, yeah. That would still work today. Um yeah, I just I I can't talk about how much this still feels good and not dated. Yeah. And it was also one of those movies where immediately we were like, we got, we can't delete this. We gotta, we gotta keep it for the next time we want to watch we can't, it. We can't, um, you know, uh, unsubscribe. Away this DVD. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I even like looked at Does the Dog Die before um, we watched it. And other than like hinting at like um, him forcing people to get into the pod and the, yeah. and the animal death, there wasn't like, overt sexual assault or anything like that, which is also a big thing that comes up a lot in old horror movies. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was just really, it was really dang good is my first thing. And it's honestly refreshing <laughs> to watch a movie on this podcast where I can't say a lot of negative things about it. And it's just made me feel cool having to have watched it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and my second point and is almost sort of like informs this point is that it is wild to me how ingrained a movie like The Fly can be in popular culture. And yet there was so much we did not know about it. Um, I didn't know Be Afraid, Be Very Afraid exactly. was from this. I've said that so many times. Yeah. And I, I even was like, after you said that, I was like, is it? Or was she referencing something? And I looked it up and no. this is the origin of that. Yeah. And like I had heard the name Brundlefly before. And I'm going to be honest, I thought it was a real ass fly, y'all. I, <laughs> I thought it was a type I mean, of house fly. Yeah. Um, and I had no idea it was from the fly. I've seen Simpsons spoof the fly probably more than once. But there's the one where Bart gets spliced with a fly. And that's kind of mostly what they take from it. It's like a teleporter that Bart gets, tries to teleport himself through. Um, I've actually seen, like, I've seen images of the prosthetics of this movie before. Like, okay. I didn't, I, I didn't recognize any of them. I think I was like, um, I don't know. I was researching for something and I found like old prosthetic horror reference material, but I, 
like watching seeing those images just kind of made me think it was like a monster rampage movie like i thought that jeff goldblum walked into the teleporters came out as a fly monster and started killing people i thought i genuinely thought that was the depth of this movie and then as you said be afraid be very afraid is from this movie it's like i knew all of these things i had so many puzzle pieces about this movie but having not seen it until now none of those prepared me for the fact that it was a genuinely like deep character movie that she got pregnant that they're like he dissolved people's flesh with his spit like all of those (laughs) extra little things didn't come up yet i knew so much about this movie from popular culture yeah yeah it didn't definitely wasn't ruined for me at all beforehand i'm curious how many other movies there are like that I'm also curious. It's no secret for our show. The big we try to be like very varied, very varied, very varied in the movies that we watch in terms of like not keeping them all American, trying to mix up the decades, keeping some hot, fresh new ones, but also going like into the indie horror, the ones that people haven't seen. Easter Bunny Kill Kill. Who's seen that? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> I'm curious how many people are going to listen to this episode because Our most popular episode is the Blair Witch Project film, Mm. which has like astoundingly more numbers than other uh, other episodes. And like all our big, big episodes are usually like super popular, like Midsommar, other ones. And The Fly has been suggested to us to watch for a while. So I'm curious if this is going to be another like Blair Witch episode style, which... um, I wouldn't have thought of it as one of the horror movies to watch. But after seeing it, I'm like, oh, okay, yes. (laughs) Now I know. My apologies, everybody. Yeah. Like, I knew the pot, like, I knew the degree to which this is a classic. But again, it's like you get suggested Friday the 13th. And as much as we love Friday the 13th, the, the, I own the box set of that for real. (laughs) Yeah. Like, the, the depth of that is horny teens get killed by a guy who might be dead. Mm hmm. And, Nobody at any point in my life told me that the fly, while incredibly scary, that body horror goes hard. Yes. Was like a character study more than anything else. And if somebody told me that, I might have gone ahead and watched it. But earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So you've heard it here first, folks. We're recommending (laughs) that you got to watch the fly. Watch the fly. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I also came into horror very late and. Like you said, I'm trying to maintain that pedigree of a horror fan where Mm -hmm. I watch the no name stuff and I watch the new stuff and I watch the foreign stuff and I I just sometimes miss the classics. I mean, I don't I don't think I saw The Shining for the longest time. And The Thing is one of my favorite old horror movies. And that probably was like four years ago that I watched it. So I mean, not that long. We've been together six years. (laughs) you had seen that before we were together fine probably like six years then (laughs) hey what is time (laughs) i mean the pandemic doesn't even exist with time it's i mean we watched like hellraiser last year and that's a movie that as a horror fan i'm like yeah probably should have watched that earlier yeah 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 We're going to take a moment to talk about our socials and sponsors. This season of drinking and screaming would not be possible without the support of Mad Lab Distillery. Can you believe it's been six seasons and they've still been with us every step of the way? Support the show and this fantastic distillery by trying some of their products. You can get their amazing stuff at a private liquor store near you or at madlabdistilling.com. 
they gave us something and I cannot wait to have it on the show because it is a very strange product. I think I know which one you're talking about. <laughs> it's very strange in the sense that I haven't had it before and I'm very interested I to see what it might be. Try to slip it into an episode coming up then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Evil Amy is once again sponsoring our show. Included in our package were mysterious keychains that feature adorable chibi versions of iconic horror characters and you don't know which one you get until you open them up. We did open one and we're delighted to find Victor Van Dort from Corpse Bride. Get yours. They ship globally at evilamysarahshop.com and use code EVIL10, all caps, for 10% off your purchase. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at drink underscore scream, on Facebook at drink and scream, and you can email us at drinkingandscreaming at gmail.com. For more information and to buy some merch, go to drinkingandscreaming.com. Now let's fuse back into the episode. <laughs> There's no actual screaming when the fusing happens, though. It's kind of peaceful. Yeah, it just kind of happened. Yeah, with smoke. Imagine smoke. <laughs> Ooh, that was good. But talking about this, it actually goes right in, well into my one of my thoughts. If you want to, if you had, do you have anything else you wanted to say? The only thing that I have left to say is that someone in the comments of the trailer said that Adam Driver could be uh, the the character if they did a remake, uh, and I, I can kind of see that same similar de- delivery can probably can't really pull off the manic unless no, I've seen clips of that movie where he's married, and I think marriage he could, story. I think he can, I think he could pull off manic a little bit. This is my life now. <laughs> uh, I could have fucked anyone. <laughs> Never seen marriage story. Only seen that scene. <laughs> Anyways, uh, now now you have my permission to go into your. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, but no, because we were talking about like we get recommended to watch this movie a lot. Blah blah blah. Um, and one of my points is about that. Normally, when people ask us. Uh, we get a lot of listeners who don't watch horror because they are too scared, which is totally valid. But then they do want recommendations for what can sort of dip their toes into into the horror world. And Kelly and I frequently recommend movies from the 70s or the 80s to, because they have usually it's a safe bet for folks who are worried about being too scared because the practical effects are while awesome, are usually not that scary for today's um, audiences. But you also mentioned this, Kelly, that not for this movie. (laughs) (laughs) The body horror was intense. I thought the special effects were very well done. Uh, The transformation was super cool. The fact that it was like drawn out over the most of the movie, like three quarters of the movie was also cool. I kind of thought it would be a lot faster from just the concept of the film. Mm. And it would be more about like after it was done, but it actually was this like long metamorphosis process. And that was very interesting for me. And it was very, the techniques that they used, the makeup techniques, the prosthetic techniques were all very well executed. Yeah. And any sort of horror that involves like fingernail removal, <laughs> I always get that because I've had my nail be ripped off before and I know what it feels like. So watching it happen is just mm-hmm. like, ah! <laughs> uh, 
and uh, I wasn't tortured or anything. I was opening a pistachio and I lost uh, my thumbnail. <laughs> I hate that story. <laughs> I had I had a recently within the last year and a half, I had a toenail fall off and that was the traumatizing experience, even though it fell off after like new toenail had grown underneath. We were just watching uh, Vampire Diaries. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it just like and I started screaming. (laughs) (laughs) And you you had me, the guru that was there, like, this is the stage of what will happen, because that's true. I've also continued screaming. (laughs) Yeah. It was no much better in this movie. They did it very well. Um, And it was just very well paced, I thought, leading up to the demise of the Brundle fly. And also, normally when you get, especially with 80s and 70s films of horror, where there's like flesh being removed, they use like cotton candy and like bubble gum and plastic to like create that like melting effect Mm. and here with this fake flesh having like chunks of it be falling away it still sort of like was decaying away though and it was very unsettling Mm. and it looked it felt a lot realer to me than like the thing does i don't know why i keep going back to the thing but i didn't i don't find that movie scary at all it's sad that like a dog gets turned into the thing and you kind of see it like get tenderly but it doesn't that sort of prosthetic effect is cool but it doesn't scare me whereas this one was like it felt more real i think going back to the like um horror like pain that you can understand is scarier than over the top and i think definitely like the wiggly tendrils coming out of the doctor uh (laughs) are coming out of the guy on the the doctor's bed you know the doctor's bed Mm-hmm. Um, is like too over the top to feel it, but like the level of prosthetics on this were very much like your skin got slit and now it's falling off, and that's like close enough to a pain that you felt that you can understand it. Yeah, and then my last point that I want to make is I got to talk about the women in this movie. I mean, yeah. Gina Davis is awesome, and I was astounded and excited when I saw that she was in it. That's how little I knew about this movie. <laughs> I knew Jeff Goldblum was in it, and he turns into a fly. That's it. Honestly, same. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was featured in the synopsis how Tawny is being like sort of one in the bar and I thought that was so frustrating to me and I did the eye roll but then in this movie they included her saying oh like you have a say like mm-hmm. oh like as if this will matter and she still went with the winner but that was like her choice which I thought was cool but I do have to call out that at the start of this movie Brundle meets Ronnie at this like party for his funder and he doesn't even know what she does now he knows her name I think and that's it And he's like inviting her back to his apartment. And then he's shocked when she's a journalist, (laughs) like literally shocked. And that to me, that's like, what do you do when you're on a date or when you're at a cocktail party meeting someone? Usually it's like, oh, uh, yeah. Hi, I'm so and so. Oh, and then they say their name. And it's like, what do you do? That's like, no, you're like, hey, you want to you want to come back and see my teleportation device? Yeah. So that was fucking weird. And then it just like kind of snowballs from there. The misogyny and the sexism is very rampant in this movie. 
Don't even get me started talking about Ronnie's ex-boyfriend. Yeah, Davis. I don't think he's worth talking about. <laughs> I mean, at least it, in interviews and stuff, he's like talking about how he was meant to be the villain and he was played that way for a reason. But it seemed so like, is she going to get back together with him? But things that he does, he just goes into her apartment when she's not there with a key. She asks for the key back and he says, no, I'm going to keep it. And he's she, showering when he she he gets back. showers in her home when she's not there. She walks in on him showering. I just, I can't. I cannot. I cannot. Um, but Arani does have her own personality. So that was good. Mm-hmm. And it was also nice to see her. She was pretty much like the driver after like being invited to Brundle's home from the rest of the movie onwards. She was like the driver in their relationship. She was the one that was like, oh, you're cute. Like, let's bang and all that stuff. And I was like, all right, you go. You go, <laughs> Glenn Coco. But it was kind of like weird. Not to get too everything else. Not to get too dark, but. That also still resonated with me and seemed very timeless because I definitely understand being in a weird relationship with your ex who refuses to leave your life and not feeling like you have the power to remove them from your life. Uh, um, so even though that it was like it was almost, relatable. Yeah, it was like comically bad how he was. But I've been in a situation with someone who's comically bad like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm, I know where she's coming from, even when they like later in the movie when she has a problem and she sort of like, like goes to him for support that even that was understandable. And I'm like, okay, this is an eighties movie clearly trying to demonstrate how toxic this man is, but also kind of still real. (laughs) Yep. 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 Anyways, not to bring the mood down. No, it's okay. The last thing I wanted to say about misogyny was also that nobody takes her seriously about anything she does. Until it flips into it benefiting them. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, I want you to pursue this. Like, you do you, girl. And I'm like. (laughs) Even Seth being like, what are you talking about? I didn't fuck this up. It went perfectly to like five weeks later. Hey. Yeah. So you were right. (laughs) (laughs) Gotten worse. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. That's it for me. All right, be right back. I've been actually making a teleportation device and I learned Seth fucked it up. It's dumb. Anyways, um, just make sure that this book that I have sitting here does not get put in. Don't put it into the teleportation device. You listen. Okay, I'll leave it right here. Okay. In fact, just to make just to make sure that you don't put it in the teleportation. I'm going to put it next to the teleportation device so that, you know, book. No teleportation device. No, they don't go together. All right. Okay. So I'm going to get in. I'm getting in. Oh, the door's closing. I put, oh, no, the- I put the book in. Oh, no. <laughs> you are the Reconomic. <laughs> it's time to open the Reconomic. Oh, God. Your, your skin is falling apart like paper. Yeah. Oh, no. I'm getting that weird smell that libraries get. <laughs> This is the part of our show where we play fast and loose and give you some recommendations. If you liked hearing about this movie, you're probably going to like what's on our list right now. And I'll jump in and say Hellraiser from 1987. It follows the story of a decomposed man and his lover, and he has to kill other humans and absorb them to become whole again. Similar, you know, to the process that the butterfly would like to do. Also similar sort of makeup effects and a lot of body horror. So that's Hellraiser from 1987.
My recommendation is Tusk from 2014. Uh, it's more of a comedy, but it also has some really fucked up body horror, if that's what you're looking for. Um, and they don't, it, they don't shy away from it like some other horror comedies would. Plus, Char, it's got your old history teacher, I want to say. What? The, the epic mealtime guy. Oh, <laughs> does it really? Was he your te- you said he was your teacher or something, uh, right? Not my teacher, but it's like my uh, he was a custodian for an elementary school oh, that my okay. mom worked in. Well, he's in it. Um, <laughs> it was around the time where Epic Meal Time was. Yeah. Like, bacon strips and bacon strips. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's... my God. Blast from the past. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Tusk from 2014. Wait, it's also. Got- sorry, sorry, sorry. It's also got. Oh, no, never mind. Not Justin Long. Who's the guy that you said was your neighbor? Jay Baruchel. Okay, no. They're, they they <laughs> play the same thing. Never mind. I don't take Doesn't it back. also have Dwight from The Office, though? Rain Wilson? I don't think so. But I'm here. I'm saying it here now that Jay Bar. Wait, what did you say? Jerry Baruchel's? Yeah. And Justin Long are the same person. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought that one had Rain Wilson, but I think you're right. It does not. It's a different movie I'm thinking of. But don't worry, because it's time for Garrity Facts. And this is the part of our podcast where after we have turned back into a human by absorbing each other, we cuddle <laughs> up in bed as ourselves. Open with, up with the buddy. Yeah, with the <laughs> buddy. One the, perfect family. One perfect family. Uh, we open up a tr- uh, trivia website of choice and uh, we learn that, hey, it wasn't real and we shouldn't have recreated these science experiments because it was a movie and Jeff Goldblum went on to fight dinosaurs for real. Mm-hmm. And we invite you to fuse with us and read some trivia. Here we go. This is the whole process of the telepod. Get get in. We're going <laughs> trivia hunting. Get in, nerd. We're becoming one person. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Starting with the budget, which was an estimated 15 million back in the day. So quite a bit. <laughs> Opening weekend in North America, they made 7 million. So already made half of it back in the first nice. weekend. But then gross worldwide is 60.63 million dollars. Sick. They just quite need a bit. Point. Zero six more million to make it to 69. Hell yeah, (laughs) (laughs) or nine million point zero six million more than it's 69. 69. (laughs) (laughs) Those involved with the making of the film, including David Cronenberg, remember that the baboon, whose name was Typhoon, was very much a wild animal and not an actor. Visual effects supervisor Hoyt Eatman said in a special features documentary that Typhoon was once startled by the flashing lights in the telepod and broke the door off to get out. And this side note, I'm interrupting this point to be like, this is so much like Nope, which we just oh, yeah. watched. Yep, definitely. Um, not a baboon, but still a primate. Uh, the Wrangler and Jeff Goldblum, who is six four, six foot four, were the ones who had to keep the primate in check. They're very volatile and there's no such thing as a tame baboon, Cronenberg said. Jeff, because he was much bigger and stronger than the baboon, was able to dominate him. And the baboon's wrangler said it was a good thing that the baboon formed that relationship. Otherwise, there could have been big trouble on the set with some of the, and this is where I get a little eye rolly, female members of the crew. Could be just, you know, the smaller members of the crew, but whatever. Sure, let's say the women will have trouble. I legitimately thought about that when I saw a real baboon. I'm like, those things are fucking vicious. They will yes. rip your skin off. Yeah. 
and the fact that they had a real one, I was like, okay, 80s movie, let's calm down with having a creature that will tear you limb from limb. Yeah. Back in the day, I went to South Africa for a month and we were doing like a nature walk and then there were baboons not far from us. And then the guide was like, okay, we all have to be quiet. And like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to walk away now because this is actually very dangerous. And I was like, he's like, this is I still remember that. That was like 20 years ago. (laughs) This is why we never go on a nature walk without Jeff Goldblum. Jeff, can you get the baboon? (laughs) (laughs) The line I'm saying I'm an insect who's dreamt he was a man and loved it. But now that dream is over and the insect is awake. It's a reference to author Zhuangzi's. Oh God, that's really hard to say. Z-H-U-A-N-G-Z-I. Zhang Zi? I think so. Thank you. I'm not f- familiar with this butterfly dream story, which was a reference, but it also is a reference to Franz Kafka's famous short story, The Metamorphosis, which is the one that I, because I had read that in high school and I was like, oh, is this based on that? I'm not sure because it's kind of about a person slowly becoming a bug. Mm-hmm. And um, you could definitely see a lot of similarities. So it was based on both of these short stories. Nice. I was which forced was cool. to read The Chrysalis. Nothing like any of these. <laughs> the first name mentioned in the end credits is Chris Wallace. He's the creator and designer of the Brundlefly makeup. Ooh. After a screening, the audience cheered upon seeing this first credit. Producer Stuart Kornfeld turned to Wallace and said, you're getting the Oscar. And that prediction did come true when Wallace did, in fact, win the Academy Award for Best Makeup which was also the only nomination and award the film received from the Academy. Wallace claims that this was probably because his name was listed first (laughs) in the credits. Nice. Which uh, was awesome to get that recognition. But also I thought it was interesting that that was the only award that this film was nominated for, considering that the acting in it was very well done. And there was a lot of great things about it. The music was good. I don't know. Strange. I feel like it was still around the time where like horror movies didn't get a lot of recognition. So Mm, that's true. Something like this could be recognized for its makeup. But people were probably like, oh, horror acting is so campy, whatever. (laughs) Do you want to know what the fly's vomit was made out of? It wasn't semen. No, it looked so much like semen. (laughs) (laughs) It was made from honey, eggs and milk. It just if you cooked that it sounds like a pretty good omelet <laughs> yeah a sweet one but yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> jeff goldblum was often wearing as much as five pounds of prosthetic makeup during his fly transformation scenes i'm honestly surprised it's not more yeah for a six foot four man that jacked five pounds probably isn't that much i guess that's true yeah but still Especially on his eyes. I know he complained about his eyes being really sore because it was like weighing him down. Mm, Probably the heat as well did not help. Yeah. According to David Cronenberg, the line, be afraid, be very afraid, was invented by Mel Brooks while discussing how characters should react to the early stages of Seth Brundle's transformation. Nice. That's cool. Several sequences were filmed but cut from the final release including a sequence where Brundle sends a cat and the surviving baboon through the telepods, resulting in a mutated creature he beats to death with a pipe, which I'm really glad that that was not included. (laughs) A scene where Brundle climbs the outside of his building as an insect limb emerges from his side. That would have been cool. I wouldn't want to see that. 
And then, oh, it does mention the alternate ending I mentioned before, where Veronica has another dream of her unborn child, this time as a baby with beautiful butterfly wings. Interesting. Becomes a Dark Souls boss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and are you ready for this last scary fact? I am. I don't think you are. Car fact. Yeah. There's <laughs> only one. The white car driven by Veronica Quaife is a Saab with two A's. 99. It's pronounced Saab. Oh, sorry. Saab. Which I only know because in Seinfeld, he always talks about having a Saab. Mm. Yeah. That's it. That's all my scaredy facts. Yay. For those of you who need more, there were literally hundreds on IMDb. But I, I, just, I picked and choose That's what good. I wanted. Yeah. I mean, I'm mean, an old film like this. It makes sense. Yeah. So much. And it was cool to read. Do you have a final thought? I mean, uh, I don't know. Going back to my first thought, which is that this movie was really good and I think people should watch it. It's ref- again, it's kind of like refreshing to have an 80s movie that doesn't involve like a bunch of problematic stuff and is just about something, I guess. It's about something, you know? It's about something. It's about something. You know what it's about? A man turning into a fly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how people would really react to that. Yeah. I, f- I didn't write a final thought down and I don't really feel like I need one. I'm really happy with the discussion that we had and it was a good movie. I'll definitely watch it again. Nice. Well, that's been The Fly, a movie about a man turning into a fly and how people react to that. <laughs> see, see what I did there? Yeah. <laughs> Next week, we'll be watching Suspiria from 1977. And remember, always scream responsibly. Thank you for listening to Drinking and Screaming. Drinking and Screaming is produced and edited by Charlene Bear. Our sound engineer and local designer is Kelly Wright. And it's hosted by, yep, you guessed it, Kelly Wright and Charlene Bear. For bonus episodes, Patreon poll, voting privileges, and exclusive rewards, become a patron at patreon.com slash drinkandscream. Want a shout out? Review us on Apple Podcasts and we'll read your review live on the show. For more information, check out our website, drinkingandscreaming.com. 